Yeah, Joab being more spiritual than David is kind of a shock. I guess even Joab sometimes has spiritual moments, and even David has some moments where he falters in his faith. A troubling point. Other comments? Tao. Okay. That's a good observation. I hadn't noticed that, but you're right. Second uh, Samuel 24, now that again the anger of the Lord burned against Israel. So perhaps this is really God wanting to punish Israel, which does get punished, uh, not so much his anger against David. That's, I'm standing corrected. That's helpful. Thank you. Yeah. Other thoughts? God is very long-suffering also. He often doesn't punish what is deserved. He only punishes under the greatest of provocation. So maybe he wants to have even a more well-grounded reason to punish. I don't know. I mean, it's a good observation, but we know he did it this way. So. Yeah, that would be true with his faithful children, not necessarily with others. I mean, I don't know that you'd say that his punishment of Sodom and Gomorrah was out of love or something like that. It was out of... Out of love for the rest of the people there. Well, maybe so. <laughs> <laughs> out, of, out of justice and righteousness and holiness. Other comments? All right, um, 7 to 14. And God was displeased with this thing, so he struck Israel. And David said to God, I have sinned greatly, 
and that I have done this thing. But now, please, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. And the Lord spoke to Gad, David's seer, saying, Go, and speak to David, saying, Thus says the Lord, I offer you three things. Choose for yourself one of them, that I may do it to you. So Gad came to David and said to him, Thus says the Lord, take for yourself either three years of famine or three months to be such away before your foes, while the sword of your enemies overtakes you, or else three days of the sword of the, sword of the Lord, even pestilence in the land, the angel of the Lord destroy, destroying throughout all the territory of Israel. Now, therefore, consider what answer I shall return to him who sent me. And David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Please let me fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are very great. But I do not but do not let me fall into the hand of man. So the Lord's been a pestilence in Israel. Seventy thousand men of Israel fell. Alright. God wasn't happy, started punishing Israel. David admits his sin and asks for forgiveness. And Gad, the prophet, comes to David with God's message, offering him the choice of punishment. Kind of an unusual thing, I guess. But uh, David's going to be able to choose his poison. And uh, it's either three years of famine, three months of being defeated by his enemies, or three days of the sword of the Lord that is a plague on the land. Um, So which one does David want? Why? Yeah, he sees this as being more directly controlled by the Lord himself, and he thinks that God would be more merciful than men would be. And so um, he, he entrusts himself to the grace of God, really. And um, he's, you know, he's going to let the Lord send the plague. And um, he does. And what happens because of this plague? Seventy thousand Israelite men die, which has what effect in terms of David's goal? Yeah, exactly. You know, uh, the the strength that David was seeking in the in the census was decimated by this plague, and so in a sense, God um, gives David exactly the kind of punishment that corresponds to this sin. So that's kind of uh, almost funny, <laughs> sad, certainly for them, but, but it shows God in, you know, always giving the appropriate punishment. Comments? It's interesting that David, when God strikes him, and then David repents, and then God punishes him. David's repentance didn't withhold God's punishment. <laughs> It's almost like forgiveness does not um, cancel sin's consequences. A lot of times they're still chastening. I mean, that's often true with us. I mean, you might forgive your child and still punish them. Because they need to be punished. The right thing is that they receive punishment, even though you've forgiven them. Comments. <coughs> By the way, pestilence, so we've gotten our translation, 
Am I the only one that ever used to think that that was probably related to pests and it meant bugs? Other people thought that too? All right, well, good. I'm glad I'm not the only one that uh, thought that. It's not. Plague is the or great disease is, is what pestilence means. But uh, I don't know why it and comes from pests. In, in Jeremiah, it talks about how uh, they're going to fall from sword, famine, and pestilence. And doesn't the pestilence have, doesn't have something to do with it? talked about some kind of... I don't remember that. I think normally pestilence means plagues. Now, I don't know. There may have been a passage associating the plague with bugs. I don't know. Nancy? Good point. Yeah. I mean, we wouldn't really naturally see things the same way. We don't have the holiness God has. We don't have the sense of justice. And we're very close to sin. And so things wouldn't always seem right to us. Uh, and we just got to change our, our outlook on things to match the Lord's. Sin really does deserve this kind of punishment, and it's right that God do this, and it wouldn't be right for him just to let things go. But that is hard for us. Other thoughts? Well, we've already got 70,000 men uh, down, and I wonder how many more will be killed. Uh, 15 to 21. God sent an angel to Jerusalem to destroy it. As he was about to destroy, God beheld and he repented him of the evil and said to the destroying angel, It is enough. Now stay thy hand. And the angel of Jehovah was standing by the threshing floor of Ornon on the Jebusite. <coughs> David lifted up his eyes and saw the angel of Jehovah standing between earth and heaven, having a drawn sword in his hand stretched out over Jerusalem. And David and the elders, clothed in sackcloth, fell upon their faces. And David said unto God, Is it not I that commanded the people to be numbered? Even I it is that have sinned and done very wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? Let thy hand, I pray thee, O Jehovah my God, be against me, and against my father's house, but not against thy people, that they should be plagued. And the angel of Jehovah commanded Gad to say to David that David should go up, and rear an altar unto Jehovah to the threshing floor of Ornon the Jebusite. And David went up at the saying of Gad, which he sp spake in the name of Jehovah. And Ornon turned back and saw the angel, and his four sons that were with him hid themselves. Now Ornon was threshing wheat. And as David came to Ornon, Ornon looked and saw David, and went out on the threshing floor and bowed himself to David with his face to the ground. Okay. So, uh, the angel with the sword... 
has come to where? <coughs> Jerusalem, that's the next place to be destroyed. You remember uh, other angels with swords in the Bible? Yes, the one with Balaam and the Garden of Eden, okay. And was there an angel with a sword with Abraham? There may have been. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. What about the hundred eighty-five thousand? We don't know. Yes, that's true. Is there not another one that you all can remember? Yeah, but I don't think he had a sword as far as I know. <laughs> Joshua, Joshua chapter 5. Very good. Yes. <laughs> All right. So, uh, you know, this is just, uh, this is going to be devastating. And the Lord feels compassion. And the Lord says, okay, stop. <laughs> you know, we've gone far enough. Relax your hand. And David begs God for mercy. And really, I think what David says to God shows that his repentance was genuine. In verse 17, basically, what does he say to God? Yeah. I was the one who sinned. Why are you punishing them? You know, punish me, hurt me. You know, it ought to be against me. You know, don't don't plague the people like this. I think that speaks very well of David. You know, I think David is feeling really bad about what all the nation is going through as a result of his sin. There are a lot of times when the consequences of sin affect others. I do wrong and they were hurt. And that's really hard. It would almost be easier if the consequences of sin were borne only by ourselves. When other parties are hurt because I did wrong, it's even more painful for me. And uh, so, uh, God tells David to go up to and build an altar on the threshing floor of Ornan. So David goes up there and he's going to negotiate to buy and then he's going to make an offering on this threshing floor of Ornan for God to stop the plague. Comments and questions? What David said earlier was right. The mercy of God appeared Yes, good point. God, you know, God is so compassionate and it's amazing how much God doesn't want to have to punish. He's very willing, and he does it. But it's not like it's what he likes to do. He does it because we demand it. Other comments and questions? Well, how about uh, 22, uh, 21, how about 21, 22 through 22, 1?
that I may build thereon an altar unto Jehovah for the full price thou shalt give it and that the plague may be saved from the people. And, and Ornan said unto David, Take it to thee, and let my Lord the king do that which is good in his eyes. Well, I give thee the auction, the auction for burning offerings, for burnt offerings, and the threshing instruments for wood, and the wheat for the meal offering. I give it all. And, the, and King David said to Ornan, Nay, but I will barely buy it for a full price. But I will not take that which is thine for Jehovah, nor offer burnt offering without cost. So David gave to Ornan for the place six hundred shekels of gold by weight. And David built there an altar unto Jehovah, and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings, and called upon Jehovah, and he answered him from heaven by fire upon the altar of burnt offerings. And Jehovah commanded the angel, and put and he put his sword again into the sheath thereof. At that time, when David saw that Jehovah answered him in the threshing floor of Ornan, Jebusite, then he offered then he sacrificed it. The tabernacle of Jehovah, which Moses made in the wilderness, and the altar of burnt offerings were at that time in the high place of Gibeon. But David could not go before to inquire of God, for he was afraid because of the sword of the angel of Jehovah. Then David said, This is the house of Jehovah God, and this is the altar of the burnt offering of poor Israel. Okay. That's it. Um, so... They, David negotiates with Ornan uh, to buy this threshing floor and uh, the animals to offer. And what did Ornan say? Yeah, you know, I, I, here, <laughs> take it. I won't, I won't charge you a thing. Of course, I think Ornan has a vested interest in seeing David doing this, doesn't he? This is Jerusalem. Uh, well, this is the next place going to be hit. So he'd be glad to sacrifice oxen and threshing floor for David just to take it. But I loved what David says in verse 24. No, but I will surely buy it for the full price, for I will not take what is yours for the Lord or offer a burnt offering which costs me nothing. What do you, th what do you think about that? If we're just doing what we want and what's convenient and what doesn't involve any cost or investment or suffering on our part, is it really worth much? Sometimes we just serve the Lord just what comes in natural and kind of convenient for us. We're offering the Lord something which costs us nothing. You know, David's not going to do that. It's not, it's not really a sacrifice if, he, if it's given to him. I think that's a good principle. Yeah. Yeah. First Peter two twenty says, "For what credit is it? What credit is it there if if you sin and are harshly treated and endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, patiently endure it, this finds favor with God." It's sort of like I don't know. This is probably a poor illustration, but but think about this one. You know, several of us have talked a lot about Bible study. You know, what if the only times you study is when you're so bored and there's absolutely nothing to do and it's more interesting to study than just do nothing. So there's nothing else better to do. You know, I, I guess I'll just do this, you know, because, you know, I, I, just, I just need something to do. Is that really worth as much as you're playing a really cool video game and you're about to get to the most exciting part and you say, but you know, I really need to take some time to study and pray and you sacrifice something you really wanted to do to be able to, 
to offer something to the Lord. That's worth a lot more. When you make a greater sacrifice, when you give up more, it's a lot more meaningful. When it, when it really is kind of what you want to do anyway, it's, it's really not worth as much. I, I, so I think that principle is really helpful. Anybody else got a thought on that principle? Same thing God was getting at in, in Malachi. Uh, and they were offering him the lame and the sick and all, all the most worthless things that they had to give him. The same with Cain. I mean, in Genesis, uh, you know, God's not going to be satisfied with us just giving what doesn't mean anything. <coughs> kind of nice to call the herd anyway, isn't it? <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. I mean, when we're just sort of, you know, giving the trash to God, you know, we weren't going to use it anyhow. Might as well give it to God. <laughs> Do you think God doesn't know that we're really not making a sacrifice? Something to think about. Think about how much you sacrifice as opposed to how much do you just kind of you know, do things that work out conveniently. It's also really, oh, it just seems really <coughs> neat that, you know, it's almost with, you know, the Lord gives him, the Lord gives David, you know, these uh, choices to make. And, you know, I don't know, if, if it were me, I would look at them, even though they're pretty bad, I mean, the way you look at it, I would try to look at it and see which one was the, um, the least harmful. And um, it seems as though in all of that, that David's focus is, I mean, he says, Lord, you pick. And, uh, you know, he's not he's not looking at, at what punishment would least harm him. Um, and and even, even when he, he uh, decides to buy this, for the sacrifice, so to speak, you know, just give the opportunity to just take it, and um, it's almost like he's he's trying to teach him, the Lord's teaching him a lesson, he's trying to teach himself a lesson as well, <coughs> he's willing to pay the full price for the Lord. Good point. So he builds an offer, altar, offers the offering, and what does the Lord do in 26? That too, but in 26? Yeah, he comes down with fire from heaven and burns up the animal. That ever happened before? First Kings 18 with the uh, sacrifice contest there on Mount Carmel between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Ever happened any other time? The yeah, the Lord spontaneously combusted that sacrifice too, didn't he? <laughs> oh, it happened. You're talking about sacrifice? Yeah. With Aaron's son? Yeah, although actually. Uh, yeah, but look at Luke 9. When they, when they did the consecration uh, for the priests. I'll get my Bible apart here, but bound to come apart sooner or later. Um, in Luke 9, 25, 20, 24, we don't have 25. Uh, 
they, they finished this consecration, then fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the portions of the fat on the altar. What did I say? Sorry. I taught too long. Leviticus 9.24. Uh, Moses and Aaron are there, and they've offered the consecration sacrifice, and then fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the portions of fat on the altar. Now that's when, see, do you see the contrast in, Luke, in Leviticus? It starts with a hell, man. It's close. In Leviticus 9 and 10. In the end of 9, when they obey God in the consecration, the fire comes out and consumes the sacrifice. In chapter 10, the next three verses, when Nadab and Abihu offer strange fire, fire comes down from the Lord and consumes the offer. You know, in both cases, fire descends from heaven. In one case, they've obeyed the Lord and the fire consumes the sacrifice. In the other case, they haven't obeyed the Lord and the fire consumes them. That's a powerful contrast. Anyhow, um, so they offer that sacrifice, and uh, David owns that, that uh, property now. And um, verse, chapter 22, verse 1, Then David said, This is the house of the Lord God, and this is the altar of burnt offering for Israel. Now, there's several passages that will bear this out more. Um, but this becomes the place where the temple is built. Do you see why this is an appropriate place for the temple to be built? Yeah. Why? Uh, this is the place where God... Uh, it's a place where God shows his mercy. It's a place of forgiveness. It's a place where the sinful man meets a holy God. A place where God's wrath and God's mercy come together. What an appropriate place for the temple. This is, this is the site upon which the temple will be built. So this chapter fits in here as sort of giving us the place for the temple in Jerusalem. And there are some other verses, I don't remember where now, that also bear out that this is the place. But. So it's kind of, there's, there's a point to this, this chapter in its context. Uh, all of these chapters are working toward the idea of the building of the temple. Comments and questions? Uh, what do we think? Do we need a break break or just a break to stand up or what do you what do you want here? How long are we going? Uh Caleb said till about eight thirty. <laughs> All right, Sandra says five minutes, so take a five minute break. Uh, now that now if we uh, would like to go to Luke, uh, well. <laughs> all right. First uh, Chronicles twenty-two, and uh, would somebody read two to five? So David gave orders to gather foreigners who were in the land of Israel, and he sent stone cutters to hew up stones to build the house of God. David spread large quantities of iron to make the make the nails for the doors of the gates and for the plants and more bronze to be laid. 
and tempered the cedar logs beyond number from Zidonians and Tyrese, brought large quantities of cedar timber to David. David said, My son Solomon is young and inexperienced, and the house that is to be built for the Lord shall be exceedingly magnificent. Famous and glorious throughout all lands. Therefore now I will make preparation for it. So David made ample preparations before his death. Alright. This chapter starts talking about the specific preparations David is making for the temple that his son Solomon will build. He makes preparations in several ways. In verse 2, what does he work on? Yeah, people to do the work, various craftsmen and uh, construction workers, I guess you could say. In verse 3, what does he provide? Iron bronze. Yeah, metals for the temple. And in verse 4? Yeah, lumber. And the emphasis in these, uh, particularly in verses 3 and 4, is on what? The large quantity. This is a temple... Because it's for the Lord, it uh, requires extensive preparations. I mean, you've got to gather a lot of people and a lot of material for this. And David and Solomon are going to cooperate in this. Kind of reminds you a little bit of 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 6, which says, Just to know that. Uh, I planted, Apollos watered, and God gave the increase. Well, David collected up a lot of the material, and Solomon put it together. You know, but the two of them together worked together to get the temple uh, built. And uh, he sees, David sees Solomon as young and inexperienced. This temple will be magnificent. So he's making the preparation. David does a lot for the temple, even though he doesn't build a thing. God didn't allow him to build it, but he didn't say he couldn't make preparations for Solomon to have an easier time of building a magnificent temple. All right, comments and questions to this point. All right, 6 through uh, 16. And he called his son Solomon and charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. And David said to Solomon, My son, I have intended to build a house for the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, You have shed much blood in the way of great wars. You shall not build a house in my name, because you have shed so much blood on the earth before me. Behold, the son will be born to you, and you shall be a man of rest, and I will give him rest from all his enemies. On every side, for his name shall be Solomon, and I will give peace and quiet to Israel in his days. And he shall build a house for my name, and he shall be my son, and I will be his father. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Now, my son, the Lord be with you. May be successful and build the house of the Lord your God, just as he has spoken concerning you. Only the Lord give you discretion and understanding, and give you charge over Israel, so that you may keep the law of the Lord your God. Then you will prosper if you are careful to observe statutes and ordinances, which the Lord commanded Moses concerning Israel. Be strong and courageous, do not fear nor be dismayed. Now behold, with great pains I have prepared for the house of the Lord, one hundred thousand pounds of gold, and one million pounds of silver, bronze and iron beyond weight, for they are in great quantity, and also timber and stone I have prepared that you may add to them. 
Moreover, there are many workmen with you, stone cutters and masons of stone, and carpenters, and all men who are skillful in every kind of work, of the gold, the silver, and the bronze, and the iron, there is no limit. Arise and work, and may the Lord be with you. Okay, so this is David's charge to Solomon. He says, I was going to build the house, but... And God said, because David was a man who'd waged great wars, that he would not be able to build the house to his name, but that he'd have a son who would be a man of rest. Now, what would allow Solomon to be a man of rest and not a warrior? Because of all David did in all those wars, conquering the other nations, and because the Lord gave Solomon peace. Now you can see how those chapters 18 to 20 that emphasize David conquering those other nations fit into the plan of building the temple. David is subduing the nations so that his son Solomon will have peace and will be able to build the temple. In fact, the word Solomon means peace or peaceful. So it's appropriate that Solomon would be the peaceful king that would build the temple. That's what God intends. God's going to be with him to enable him to do that. Um, and he encourages him in verse 11 for the, that the Lord would be with him and, and that the Lord would guide him. You know, the Lord will give him the discretion that he needs. Whenever God calls us to do something, God always gives the means necessary to accomplish the task. So God's going to give Solomon <coughs> the discretion, the understanding, the success he'll need to be able to do what he needs to do in building the temple. But it's very important for Solomon, verse 13, to do what? You be sure you do exactly what God told Moses. Go back to the book and study it and follow it. That's what he's saying. And then he says in the end of verse 13, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear nor be dismayed. Now, there are several things that remind me of this, but that, particularly that, be strong and courageous, do not fear nor be dismayed, does that put you in mind of anything? What about Joshua? Who? Moses gave a very similar charge to Joshua that David is giving to Solomon. There are many, many parallels between the Moses-Joshua and David-Solomon. We could look a lot at that throughout this whole uh, time. Uh, and so that's kind of a, a cool thing to, to notice. Um, and he says, I've, I've made great preparations. The gold, the silver, the bronze, the iron, the timber, the stone, the workmen. Uh, you know, I've, I've gotten all this stuff together, Solomon. Now may the Lord be with you. Build this temple like God wants you to do. That's a pretty moving speech. It's a good speech. Do you have some comments and questions on it? Okay, um, 17 to 19.
For he hath delivered the inhabitants of the land into my hand, and the land is subdued before Jehovah and before his people. Now set your heart and your soul to seek after Jehovah your God. Arise therefore and build you the sanctuary of Jehovah, to bring the ark of the covenant of Jehovah, and the holy vessels of God into the house that is to be built in the name of Jehovah. Now who is David talking to here? And what's he wanting them to do? Yeah, help Solomon. Work together with him in building the sanctuary to bring the Ark of the Covenant into the house that's to be built for the Lord's name. You see this tying right back into the Ark and to providing the house for God to dwell in. And uh, he's enlisting the help of the leaders to help his son to accomplish this goal. So these are the preparations David is making. Preparing the people, preparing the material, preparing the workers, preparing Solomon for being able to build the temple. Comments and questions? Yes. Yes. 